0: Amen and amen. I hope you have a copy of God's Word this morning, and if you do, I want to invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we'll be looking at verses 38 to 41, and what the Word of God is showing us in the lives of the disciples and following Jesus in His public ministry. It's all about getting things right. Mark chapter 9, 38 to 41, this is what the Word of God says. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What I want to present to you this morning is the reality that there is indeed a great difference between being right about something and getting it right. Right. Too often we're concerned with being in the right, being right and positioning ourselves at all costs where we are in a position where we require or are unwilling to receive any type of correction or instruction. All for the sake of coming to a place where we can declare before God, before our spouses, before our children, before our brothers and sisters in the local church, I'm not concerned with getting it right, but I'm more selfishly, and egotistically concerned with being right. Let me take you back to Wednesday morning, this last week. This last Wednesday morning, I was going outside to get into my car. My beautiful bride had already left with our two younger kiddos. I dropped the older two off at elementary school. She was taking our daughter to preschool, and she had the youngest with her. And I proceeded to get into my car. And I went to, as you are, would do, you would unlock the door. And I went to unlock it, I noticed the lock didn't turn. Because it had been unlocked in 77493 all night long. So I slowed down a little bit, but proceeded nonetheless. Sat in the imitation leather chair there of my Mazda tribute that's paid off five years now, praise the Lord. And then I noticed when I went to try to put the key in the ignition, there was already conveniently a key in the ignition. It was already fully turned in the ignition where he had been all night long. And yes, I didn't have that good enough battery. Completely dead car. So I'm thinking, okay, what are we going to do here? Honestly, before even thinking about what I was going to do, I was thinking about who's to blame here. (laughs) And in my piety as a pastor, I thought, Lord... Who was the last one to drive my beloved vehicle? And my lovely, smoking hot of a companion known as my one and only sweetheart, my wife, was the last one to drive my vehicle. So I started to think through what happened. Oh, yeah, the night before, I was out in the cul-de-sac. With three of our kiddos and the the rest of the hooligan kiddos that live in our cul-de-sac that we love having community with. And my wife was with one of our kids. He had an appointment. And so she took my car because it's smaller and I had the big mama boat of a car to take all the other kiddos around town. And she'd pulled in in my car the night before, pulled in the driveway. She was the last one to drive my vehicle. So I thought, this is good. I I really felt like a divine just anointing came over me because I wasn't mad. It was really odd. My temperature wasn't boiling or anything like that. I thought, this is perfect. I'm going to get her. Very rare am I in full right standing, grasping at righteousness as a husband and father. Men, you know what I'm talking about. Amen. I was going to seize the moment. Hallelujah. So I looked at my phone, I found the contact, my one and only sweetheart, my wife. I pressed that, and the phone began to ring, and I was just salivating. <laughs> this is going to be good." She picked up, I said, "Hey, lover." She said, "Yes." I said, "Hey, you'll never know what I discovered when I got in my car this morning." Oh, really, what's that, honey?" The door was unlocked. Oh my goodness, that's really odd. Yeah, that's not it." There was a key in the car as well. The door was unlocked, and there's a key in the car as well. Yeah, that's not it. The unlocked door to the car had a key, and the key was fully turned in ignition all night long. Do you know what that means, sweetheart? Yes, you caused your car to die overnight. Those were her words. <laughs> and I was just ready. Like a, like a lure in the water, I was just reeling it in playing it out as long as I possibly could, and I was just waiting for that most opportunistic moment. to reel her in, baby. But then I realized when she pulled in the driveway that night before, one of our boys left the window down, so I went over to the driver's side to unlock the car back so I could power the window back up. And while I was doing that the night before, she was going around to the passenger door to get the two bags of special ice cream grocery order I'd made for her to get me on the way home. I was the reason the battery was dead. (laughs) But there in the moment, what most often happens at that fork in the road of a conversation, and if you can't relate with me, you're a bold-faced liar, what typically happens is I choose one of two things. Most often, what I choose rather than positioning myself with a humility of let's just get to the bottom of this, even if it means I need correction, let's get this right. Let's get it right. But most often instead of that, I go to the other side of my flesh and I'm all about how can I position myself in this argument? How can I present the case where even if it's forsaking the truth, even if it's mistreating the bride that God has provided me, if it means at the end of the conversation I am without need of correction or even unwilling to receive correction because I am right, that's all I'm concerned with. Ever been there? Come on, don't lie. God is listening. Ever been there? That's where the disciples were this morning. They came across this man. He was um, casting out demons. Legit ministry. He was doing it in the name of Jesus. Not some other Jesus with a last name other than Christ. The Jesus Christ of Nazarene. The Lamb of God. He was performing these miraculous wonders and demonstrations in the name and authority and clarity of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the disciples came across this and they thought, hmm. You know, we haven't made Jesus very proud the last few days. We've been pretty prideful and missing a few things, but we're going to bring this to his attention. Oh, he's going to be so proud of us. This guy, we're going to be right on this occasion. So John presents it. Hey, teacher, we came across this guy. He was doing these activities in your name, so we told him to stop. Because he wasn't quite doing it the way we'd prefer him to do it. He wasn't quite doing it the way it's looked before. Yeah, he, he was doing it in your name, Jesus. Yeah, he was actually casting out the demons, but he's not one of us. He looks a little different. Not only that, but he's not following us to the T. So we told him to stop. And in and of itself, verse 38, in isolation at least, it might seem like the disciples have some type of legitimate case before Jesus. Where John is thinking, all right, I'm going to present this on behalf of the disciples. Jesus is going to say, boy, John. But look at the response of the logos, the word Jesus, his response to John and the disciples, as his word so often does, clarifies the reality of their hearts. That's a sermon within itself, if you did not catch that. The logos, the word, Jesus, speaking into your lives, reveals things and shows you the true condition of your heart. And though it might seem like they have a legitimate case here, when we go into the detail of Jesus's response in this scenario, we see the true colors But Jesus, do not stop him. You mean to tell me you came across a guy who was casting out demons, releasing people from bondage and slavery of their flesh, out of darkness into light, and he was doing this all in my name, and you told him to stop? Don't tell him to stop. He affirmed my name. It's okay. Not only does Jesus emphasize the affirmation this man was making uh, based on who Jesus is, but he also emphasized activity. Truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Jesus, he will not lose his reward. Basically what Jesus is saying, if anyone affirms who I am, he is for us. If anyone's activity reflects an affirmation of who I am, he is for us. If there's anyone not against us, he makes it very simple at this point there. um, The very brief statement of uh, verse 40. For the one who's not against us. Let Let me just boil it down for you, John, and the rest of you disciples. If you come across this world and people, even though they might not look like you or they didn't come out of the same convention, a denomination of churches as you, if they don't sing the same music as you or do the same setup of things, if what they're doing and what they're saying regarding Jesus is not against us, then they are for us. What was happening in the snapshot of the disciples' lives here was they found themselves In this moment, being more identified, being more known for, that which they would condemn. They became more known for, in that snapshot there with Jesus, about people who they would condemn, rather their confession of Jesus himself. In that moment, John was like, Jesus, there's something we're against. Jesus, there's someone we're against. And Jesus is like, if he's not against us, he is for us. Don't tell me what you're against or what you condemn. Tell me who you believe I am. Tell me what you stand for and are about. But these disciples were most concerned with being right in themselves as the original 12, rather than allowing themselves to humbly be in a position of getting it right, regardless of how that may have tarnished their reputation. See, just back in chapter 8, verse 29... Just days before, they're in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus looked at all the, the false gods, gods around there at Mount Hermon, and then he looked to the disciples and said, I don't care who other people say I am, who do you say that I am? And there, that watershed moment that we know in the Gospel of Mark, Peter looked at Jesus, and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe you're God the Son, you're not a prophet. We believe you're the Lamb of God. You're not just a good man. We believe you, as God the Son, are the King. And there, just days before, such a a monumental, powerful confession of Christ, Jesus the Lord and Savior. But here in this moment, because something looked a little different than what they were used to, because these guys wouldn't just completely, perfectly fall into line behind them as the disciples. They were complaining and sharing with Jesus about what they condemned and being known for things they condemn and stand against rather than who they believe on and what they stand for. Know anybody like that? On the name of Christianity, they say they've been saved. They say they've walked through believers' baptism. They're probably even part of a church. They may even be a a prominent pastor or preacher somewhere. But all they're known for is what they stand against. All they're known for is standing up and saying, I'm right, I've got it figured out, and nobody else knows what's going on. And because I'm right, and I'm the only one who's got it figured out, we can't even associate with you. You must stop that. No, we won't even come into contact with you because it's all about me being right. It's all about what I'm standing against rather than who Jesus is, what he's done for me, and what he wants to do for you. Christmas time, we can definitely relate to that. Um, Social media talks a lot about different, and by social media talking, those are actual people cowarding behind screens, typing up. And often we just knock all the different Christmas traditions. Oh, I can't believe someone has a Christmas tree in their house and say they're a believer. Oh, I can't believe someone practices the tradition of Santa Claus and they say they're a believer. I can't believe someone does Elf on the Shelf and is a believer. Now, I did see someone a member, a member here post something great about Elf on the Shelf, emphasizing the, the kindness and the motivation to help our kiddos focus on that, which is good. But, but look at old Jerry the Elf here on the screen. Y'all know this guy, don't you? Look at that guy. Oh, Jerry. I had my kids convinced Jerry died because of COVID. (laughs) I was patting myself on the back. I was like, score, dad of the year. Then my one and only sweetheart, my wife, resurrected him the next day. And not even on the third day, that's right, she didn't even wait. <laughs> and there Jerry is, just right there. Now she does incredible things in motivating our children toward kindness and really focusing on the, the essentials of Christmas rather than trying to do one gift on December 1st and outdoing that gift the next day and outdoing that gift where you're given 25 gifts. That's insane. But it's things like this. This little elf on a shelf we're professed believers followers of Jesus just one example we can find ourselves getting in such a tizzy on things about what we're against what we condemn in this world rather than coming to a place and saying here's what i affirm about Jesus as lord and savior and here's the activity he's accomplished in my life, and here's the activity I want to be about as a result of the transformation he's provided me. Please, get him off the screen. Let's change it. I feel like he's watching me. And I still don't know if my wife or someone else moves him in the night. It's creepy as all get out. So Jesus tells these guys, not about something you've contrived in your head that fits your persuasion it's not about something that fits what you believe should be adopted so it makes you in the right it should always be about you humbly presenting yourself based on who i am and what i'm about to say let's get the truth and even if it humiliates me and corrects me let's allow that to shape our lives let's allow that to be essential as your pastor, I have a calling from God to shepherd you. One day, I will stand before the maker of all things and hold an account to him. How did I shepherd the sheep he called me to steward? That that, that gift he called me to steward in my calling. And my, my commitment to you is the same commitment I've made from day one. January 8th next month will be our fourth year here. Crazy. It feels like 20 with everything that's gone on, Right? By the grace of God. I do nothing that opposes this word. And I only do what I believe Jesus is telling me to do through this word. And honestly, what Jesus is saying here is, Coleman, if you do that, if you're not speaking in opposition to what this word says, if you're not speaking in opposition to who I am, go for it. Lead the way. I just want to invite you to consider that that openness, that, that latitude, the margin that the grace of God affords us in our walk, in our discipleship. I mean that's that's specific to my calling as your pastor, right? So like today we all wore green and white and gold. Our choir members looked awesome, didn't they? Let's praise God. They look good, guys. We asked them to wear those colors. And they did such a good job following that leadership you're thinking, wait a minute, clothes colors, is that really a big deal? It's not. But when we make elves on the shelf main deals, we can make carpet and concrete and clothing big deals as well. But also I want you to stretch out, zoom out a little bit. Those people you're associated with, especially during the holidays, right? We're so tempted to look on one another and think, You're a believer and you're associating yourself with those. Jesus left the throne room of heaven and did that very same thing. We're called to keep the main thing the main thing. And when we do, we see who Jesus is. We see what he's about. And we experience the fullness of life that nothing else can provide. We all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But what does John three seventeen say? This is Jesus. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus did not himself, God the son, when he came, he did not come to tell all the world all the things and all the people he stood against. But he came in the fullness as God the Son, in order that the world might be saved through him. So as believers, representing Jesus, as members representing our church family of Katie's First, as your pastor called by God to shepherd you, representing your families, and the calling God has placed on my life. We never want to be so concerned with being right that it forsakes getting it right. See, earlier this week, Wednesday morning, I joke about just a a divine appointment, spiritual anointing on me. Legit, kid you not, for some reason, like I did not go to the end of just getting upset, being prideful. I mean, I was super calm, cool, and collected. I thought I was really seizing the moment. But even when I got to the point in the conversation, and my bride so graciously reminded me that, no, in fact, it was me who screwed it up. It was me who killed the battery of that car. It was me who placed that key in the ignition and left it all night with the door unlocked. It was an outright miracle. that I just kept going with it. And I, I just played it off. I said, you're right, honey, I I know, I I stayed in the car and I I left it on all night. I was just calling you because if you were ever so kind to me, if you could turn around and come give me a jump on the driveway so I can get to work. (laughs) I was cool, man. I later confessed, we're good. Take that, though, and consider it in the reality of our following after Jesus. Our being ambassadors of the King, our being an embassy of the kingdom of God until Jesus returns, we can't afford to be anything other than being all about getting it right, even if it is at the expense of us sacrificing our being right. So today, especially this Christmas season, as We kiss COVID 2020 goodbye. As we look forward to January 10, where I don't care who is president, I don't care what the disease is doing, because we're going to look at things with eternity and light. We're launching some wonderful ministries. We're launching full-scale Sunday morning Bible studies. And just as God has been incredibly kind to us thus far, he will continue to be kind because Jesus has said, the church is the only institution that will not fail. And regardless if the government tells us we can't meet in person, we are called to meet in person for his renown and, Lord willing, the salvation of all humanity. But it requires of us at this, the outset to humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, help us to be about who you are. Help us to be about what you want to accomplish. Help us to be about nothing other than getting it.